Had a great weekend, wonderful services last Friday, good services on Sunday. If there are any copies back there, we were dealing with the Great Commission. Just a good, good time in the Word on Sunday. But Luke chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading with verse 43, and we want to teach about a good person obeys the Lord. A good person obeys the Lord. A good man obeys the Lord. Luke 6, verse 43, a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush do they gather Grapes, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be with your saints and to look into the scripture. Give us all ears to hear. As we look at these verses this evening in Jesus name, amen, amen. I'm going to also ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7 and just keep a finger there and we will say a few things about that here in a little bit. But you'll remember as we were working our way through the scriptures last week, looking at this sermon in the plain, which is an abbreviated version of the sermon on the mount, we were looking at what it means for the blind to lead the blind and also what hypocrisy looks like. We dealt with what it means to love your enemies and how that is revealed practically. We gave you a lot of examples of Christians in America and around the world who suffer all kinds of hardships, but yet still have to love people who persecute them. And we then revealed to you that the word hypocrite is closely connected in its meaning to a person who's an actor or pretender, someone who goes out of their way to play a role that isn't necessarily true to who they are. Well, that is what sets the stage for Jesus' statements here in Luke 6 when he begins to talk about the tree, because he's using the tree as a symbol to illustrate a man or a woman. And most people don't usually think of a tree as having a nature that is good or bad, but he illustrates the nature of the tree by talking about the fruit that it manifests. So you know whether or not a tree is in good condition or in shape to bring forth fruit by the fact that the fruit comes forth. So he says here in verse 43... That a good tree can't bring forth bad fruit. So a good Christian can't bring forth bad deeds. And a bad person can't do Christian things. Now that seems like uh, it's not quite right because, of course, we've all met Christians who've done things that weren't right. Okay, And then quite naturally we've run into people who 
were bad, but yet still were able to perform good works. But Jesus is after the inward part of a person. He's after the nature of a man. And the person who comes to follow him, it is not within them to produce evil. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. And if the the fruit then is one of the yardsticks by which we measure a person's life, then every one of us are called to be fruit inspectors. Now, I know what the fruit of the Spirit is, and and it's listed in the book of Galatians. And we have nine fruit of the Spirit that are just as important as any teaching on the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But are you keen enough and are you observant enough to recognize the fruit of the Holy Ghost in a Christian's life? Love, joy, peace, temperance. Walking amongst Christians should be like walking in an orchard. And I've I've told you that that trees don't bear fruit for themselves. A pear tree doesn't eat the pears. The fruit are for whoever comes along and harvests them from the branches. And so what God uses you to manifest in your Christian life isn't particularly for you. That's an outflow of who you are. That's your cup running over. That is for other people. So if we have joy as a fruit of the spirit, then if I'm in a bad way, having a depressed day or I'm excessively sorrowful, I come around you. There should be something on your branches that I can reach and grab that puts a smile on my face. And if I'm dealing with unbelief and doubt and anxiety and I'm fretting and I'm worried, as some of us, you know, from time to time do, if you get around people who are manifesting the fruit of faith, Don't you think that's contagious and you can consume that? Absolutely. And it's a whole lot better to be around people who are manifesting good fruit than to be around people who are manifesting bad fruit. Now, what's bad fruit? Something that's not edible. Something you can't devour. Something you won't enjoy. Now, I don't particularly like the taste of garlic. But if somebody puts it in some kind of food and they do it the right way, I can enjoy it. But do you realize there's some people that have a they have an appetite. I'll even say a sweet tooth for that stuff. But but scientists have said if you take something like garlic and you chew on it long enough, you will develop a taste for it. It'll happen. And some people feed on bitterness. They feed on anger. They feed on these things that are works of the flesh and don't produce anything but corruption. And this is why Jesus is trying to explain that a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit and a bad tree is not going to bring forth good fruit. We're we're in Luke chapter six, verse forty three and verse forty four. Again, to reiterate, once a tree is planted, whatever's in the seed That's what's going to be in the root. Whatever's in the root, that's what's going to be in the stump. What's in the stump, that's what later on is going to be in the rest of it, the trunk of the tree. But there's something in the fruit that's different than what's in the bark. And it's all in the makeup of the seed. So you can take different kinds of seed and crossbreed different kinds of fruit. When I lived in Israel, they actually crossed a banana and an apple and they were selling those things in the market. They were called banapples. 
And people loved those things. But do you realize that regardless of how you work with these different seeds, you're still going to only have one particular kind of flavor that comes out of it, even if you got banana peels on it. Only the Holy Ghost produces a seed that he places in you and me that can bring forth nine manifestations of fruit. There's no other seed on the planet that can do that. So God, he works inside of us to ensure that we're the good tree bringing forth the good fruit. Now, verse 44 then says, every tree is known by his own fruit. So I'm going to pay attention to how people live if I'm going to make a decision about whether or not somebody's a Christian. I I don't have the ability to condemn a person or damn a man or woman to hell. I can't do anything like that, but I can pay attention to somebody's life and say, well, they don't seem to be Christian to me. They don't seem to be Christian. That is to say, they don't appear to act like they're Christian. And this is what he's saying in verse 44. Every tree is known by its own fruit. A pear tree has distinctive fruit. An apple tree has its own distinctive fruit. So a Christian should be different from a sinner. We should be different in our speech. We should be different in our actions. We should be different in our thinking. And then Jesus goes on to say, nobody's going to be able to gather figs out of thorns. So you're not going to be able to go to a thorn bush and gather figs. If you've ever seen a fig tree, you know, you've got to have a beautiful little tree there if you're going to gather those. I used to love to eat figs, too. Those are one of the things we'd eat with tea in the Middle East and go down and buy a sack of them for just a couple of dollars and then just sit there and chew on that wonderful, absolutely wonderful flavor. You know, but you can't get a fig tree. Um, excuse me. You can't get figs out of anything other than that which produces figs. See, and, and why should we go amongst Christians and find every other kind of manifestation other than the fruit of the spirit? Christians should not be the meanest people on the planet. How many of you know that? But yet we've all met some people that are meaner than a junkyard dog and they've been in church 40 years. And and no matter how many sermons they've heard, no matter how many Bible study lessons they have gone through, it hasn't changed their nature. Some people don't want to convert to Christ, but they do want to associate with Christians. So there are plenty of people that go to church and they go because it's good for their social connections. You know, if you're a dentist in town, it kind of helps if you go to church somewhere. I think it's even better if you're part of the kingdom of God and you're born again. But, you know, at least if you go to go to church, then you meet people, then they get to know you, see your personality and everything. And when there's a difficulty, then they'll come to your place of business. And that very often is what people are looking for. They don't want to change life. They don't want Jesus in their home. They don't want Jesus to disturb their carnal heart. But they do want to be able to hang out in an orchard where there's a manifestation of fruit. So verse 44, again, you can't get grapes out of a bramble bush. So the whole point here is to emphasize the contrast. If you're going to have the figs and the grapes, you've got to have the conditions that produce 
the figs and the grapes. If a person teaches the Bible in a church and people hear the word of God and come to faith, you'll have conversion. But if a person teaches people how not to believe the scripture and why not to believe the scripture, do you think you'll have conversion? Of course not. You won't even have repentance because individuals will listen to that and they'll say, well, okay, the Bible is just a fairy tale. But if, if a person teaches the scripture and uses God's word, as Jesus described it in the parable of the sower, as seed, then quite naturally, eventually you'll get a harvest of what you sow in people. So if a person sows the word into the hearts of Christians and talks about love and displays the love of Christ and portrays Jesus as someone who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten life or should say only life there, then that means that a person who is a Christian is going to learn that greater love has no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for his friends. We want to imitate Christ. But the seed has to be sown. If we sow the seeds that say go into all the world, then we'll produce a people that's interested in other nations and we'll produce a people that are interested. Even if they don't want to go physically, they'll still be able to go spiritually in prayer and they'll be able to send others to go. If we sow the seed about tithing, you have people that will remember that 10 percent goes to the king. Yeah. But if people don't talk about that, you end up with good. You end up with bad fruit. That's, and that's what that's what happened. So the, the, the places where people won't put the seed in the hearts of individuals, it becomes a very difficult place place to live. Now, I, I don't know, but I'm going to assume that it, it would be very, very difficult to, to try to harvest amongst thorns. And I would think it would hurt your hands and hurt your arms and hurt your body because you're in the middle of all of that. So imagine trying to do ministry amongst people who don't manifest figs or the fruit of the spirit. Imagine how hard that would be. See, you're trying to push this way. Then you've got 50 people pushing back against you this way. You're trying to tell people to walk in love, but everybody's explaining to you why they have a right to be angry. Be hard to do ministry. So Jesus said, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. So three times in that in those sentences there, you've got the word good and it talks about the heart. Now, the scripture tells us guard the heart out of it comes the issues of life. So that's to say everything that is that that has anything to do with how you live is affected by your heart and what you believe. Now, the reason I know that is because that's what the Proverbs says. But here, here's the thing. You have to guard your heart. Now, you hear people talking about this in relationships. People come out of a bad relationship and they'll say something like, well, I'm just trying to guard my heart this time. I don't want to let my guard down. You know what they're saying? They're trying to protect their feelings. They're trying to protect their emotions. Well, with God, you have to go out of your way to protect yourself from any and all of the sentiments of the devil. Because your heart is fertile ground for him to sow his seed in there. And if he can sow it in there, he can produce unbelief. He can produce anger. He can produce devilish behavior. And pretty soon, all of that that's in here is eventually going to be manifested. It's impossible to have stuff in your heart and it not eventually come out. It's going to come out. 
Now, you, you may believe you're the best actor on the planet and nobody's ever going to know what, what you're thinking, what you're doing and all of that. But I can promise you, the Bible says what's done in the dark going to come to the light. And there have been a whole lot of people that thought nobody could see what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, mom and dad had to explain to the kids, you know, just because you hit delete on the telephone or I mean, on your phone there or on the computer, that doesn't mean it goes anywhere. It's still there. Yeah. And there are a whole lot of people that 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 never have learned that, that there's a history attached to all of that. And somebody can go in there and see where you've been going. Yeah. What's done in the dark will come to light if somebody's looking. See? Somebody's looking. He's looking. He sees it all. He observes. So verse 45, we want to be the good person. We want to bring forth good treasures because we want to manifest what is good. Why, why then would a, a uh, person want to bring forth treasures? Well, because treasures enrich people and enrich people's lives. You can enrich people with your words. Here in verse 45, when it says, bring it forth, the Greek word actually means utters. So we're talking about language. We're talking about speech. And the reason I know that, because back up here in verse 40, verse 41 and 42, he was talking about the one who says to his brother, let me pull that beam out of your eyes. That's what he said. So when we come down here to verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart utters that which is good. He speaks forth that which is good. So notice your conversation. Pay attention to your language, because in the opposite way, an evil man utters that which is evil. And that's a funny little word there, evil. You just add the word, add the letter D and you've got devil. See? But a person who is doing wrong, there's got to be a manifestation of that that comes from somewhere. You know, the Bible says man's heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you realize that in all of us in here right now, there are things down in here that we don't even realize is there. But given the right temptation and a moment of weakness, You'll realize it quickly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I've told you before in teaching about David. <clears throat> David should have been out in the middle of the battle, but he was up on a rooftop staring at a woman taking a bath. And, and because he took that first look, then that second look, then that third look, and then he just wouldn't leave the rooftop. Then pretty soon he's asking, who is she? Well, he knew who she was. Yeah. And. Then he started making arrangements because this this is what's going to happen. It's, it's in that heart. He starts making arrangements for them to have a secret rendezvous. They got together. Then they went their separate ways. Then later on, somebody had to come back and say, David, by the way, you're about to become a dad. And uh, it's with that married woman. And so now, you know, when some people, they don't have enough sense when they dug a hole rather than getting rid of a shovel. They'll get a bigger shovel and they'll start digging a deeper hole. So he starts scheming in his mind. He said, OK, I can handle this. I'm the king. This isn't a problem too big for me. I'll arrange for her husband to come home. And since this has just happened, if he spends the night with her and he finds out she's pregnant, then everybody will think it's his. So that's exactly what he did. He got got Uriah to come home. 
and Mr. Uriah didn't even bother to go into the house. He slept out on the porch. He said, how in the world can I go in there and stay in a nice, comfortable bed when all my fellow soldiers are out sleeping in tents? Well, David was a little saddened by that, so what did he do? He got a bigger shovel, and he called his general. He said, look, when this man gets back out there in the battle, you put him way up there on the front line. You put him up there where they're launching arrows and javelins and everything else. You just make sure he doesn't come home again. And that's what they did. And he died. Well, he, he did all of that and, and, and had no idea that God was paying attention. Because that's usually how we, we do this, this stuff. We don't think God's watching. We think we can get away with this stuff and God's not seeing it. But eventually God has a spokesperson who's going to come and declare the word of the Lord. And it's usually going to be at a point in time that's going to startle us. Yeah. And so David went back to his regular routine. He's writing his little psalms. He's hanging out in the tabernacle. You know, he's weeping. He's crying. Everybody thinks they got a holy king, wonderful politician, loves the Lord, submitted, yielded to the will of God. They don't know he's a murderer. They don't know he's doing adultery and all of that. But God knows. And the man of God comes and deals with him on the basis of that sin. And of course, you know, he repented and he wrote Psalm 51. But here's the thing. Adultery was always in David's heart. He just needed a Bathsheba to bring it out. See, It was always there. And that's the same with, with, with anybody, all of us. There, there are things that the adversary knows are our weaknesses. Don't forget, he's been paying attention to you and me since we were little, little people. He knows what we like. He knows if you like, if you like Neapolitan ice cream. You better believe it. He, pay, he, he pays attention. He knows I like pecan pie. He knows it. All, all, these, all these different things. And what he does is he tries to set the stage to cause us to yield at certain temptations. Because if he can get us to yield here and then get us to yield here, then pretty soon he may be able to get us to yield here. So the tests, the trials, the temptations, sometimes they get bigger. We just have to realize who's behind it all. And if we know that the devil is doing this, then we can do everything we can to pray that part of the prayer that says, Lord, lead me not into temptation. God, I know my weaknesses. I know them. Believe me, I know them. Don't let me go there. Keep me away from that. Preserve me from that. And if you and if you think you're too strong to pray that prayer, just give it time. The Bible says he that thinks he's strong, take heed lest he or she falls. Yeah, it comes. It comes. It doesn't have to, but it comes to the proud. Okay, so verse 45, notice the last sentence of, of verse 45, for out or for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth does what? Speaks. So you can, you can gauge where a person is spiritually by how they talk. You, you, can, you can figure out who's strong in the faith by just listening to them speak. You, you, can, you can tell who's weak. You can tell who's going to fall apart when they pass through a trial because some people, they're just always telling you about how big their mountain is. You know, you know Mark 11 talks about 
If you say to this mountain, be moved, cast into the sea, if you believe in your heart, it'll be so. But, but there are some people that when they have a mountain in their life, I mean, they, they are exact with the figures. They can tell you how tall that thing is. They can tell you how wide it is, may even be able to tell you how much dirt is in it. And they can tell you how much it weighs and they can give you all the facts and figures and statistics about their mountain. But if you start talking to them about God, they know very little about what God says. But we should make God bigger than our mountain. So here's how testimonies go sometimes in churches. And and I've been in churches. We'll say something like this. OK, we want to have tonight. We want to open up for testimonies. We want anybody just, you know, give a praise to God. You know, something that's going to encourage everybody. Let everybody know that the Lord is still on the throne. And, you know, somebody they'll say, OK, I want to stand up and testify, give glory to the Lord. The devil had me on the run all week long. But I praise the Lord that God gave me the victory over it. And I'm an overcomer. See, at least they put God on top. At least they put God on top. But I've heard some people, they give testimonies, they say, oh, it's been the worst week I've ever had. It don't get any worse than this. Had four flat tires, shingles came off the house, ran out of money, was looking for somebody to help me, but I lost my job in the middle of it all. And then on top of that, got shingles Friday night. And it was just such pain. And I just didn't know what to do. And, you know, nobody in the church even called me to check on me. Let's go back to what we said. Is there anybody who'd like to testify and encourage the saints of God? Because a testimony demonstrates that you pass through a test or you're passing through a test and you know that God is with you. So the scripture says, thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in all things. See? And if we understand that, then out of our mouths will come that kind of language. But when you hear people who don't talk like that, it's part of their nature. It's in their heart. That, that's what they feed on. But if you, if you read the scriptures, stand on the word of God, then that's a, that's a good thing. I remember years ago, had somebody in church had had a letter from somebody had every kind of illness you could possibly think of. I just I, and I remember reading that and I just thought, oh my goodness, I, how can anybody even claim all of this? I didn't know a human being could have this and still live another five minutes. But yet this this is what was in the letter, and there are plenty of people in this world who are just like that. You, you, you don't understand what a breath of fresh air you are when you walk into a room with people who are discouraged and everything is falling apart in their mind. And then you come in with a smile and you tell them God's still going to do this for you and God can do this for you. And God was big enough to handle it for Jacob and he's big enough to handle it for you. Yeah, that makes all the difference in the world. So abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, feel. Fill our hearts and minds with God's word. Read the word, meditate on the word, play music that glorifies God and strengthens your faith in God. Do all of that because subconsciously you have it just playing in the background. You still have the word going in you because your ears are listening to it. You get into that car, you're going down the road, put some gospel on. Let the word of God minister to you. Find a good teaching tape, find a good preaching tape or something that will minister to your heart. You don't have to get in the car and then try to find the radio version of the ID channel. And then just listen to every story of what acts 
or what murderer, serial killer or something like that did. I mean, I remember one time we had some people that were coming to church and the husband had me laughing. The husband said, well, the whole time we were riding here, we were listening to all of that kind of stuff. I said, well, how can you sleep at night? You know, how can anybody sleep at night? No wonder people are afraid to let their the uh, shades up and open up their curtains because behind every tree, they think somebody's stalking them. Well, if you watch enough of that stuff, that's exactly what you're going to think because it produces fear. But if you take the time to read stuff and listen to stuff and watch stuff that produces courage and boldness, then you know what the scripture means when it says the righteous will be bold as a lion. Yeah, bold as a lion. Somebody says, oh, pastor, you don't want to go in that room. The boogeyman is back there in that room. Oh, just kick the door in and walk in and say, we're not afraid of boogeymen at all. Yeah, stand on God's word. Okay, verse 46. He says then, why, why do all of you call me Lord, Lord, respectful title there, and don't do what I tell you to do? There's a lot of people like that. Lord, Lord. And uh, I think if we go over to Matthew 7 now, we can look at, couple of other things here, just to throw a little bit of insight. Now, verses 15 through 19 talk about the tree that we spoke of earlier, except in this context, it's tied to false prophets, being the good tree and the bad tree. So notice verse 21, not every one that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. Now, what's interesting to me here in verse 21 is that Jesus says the ones who are using the words, Lord, Lord, they, they know the language. You understand? They know the language. They know the religious term. They know what to call Christ. But what they don't know is that they're on the outside of the kingdom. How many people do you think you meet like that? Have no idea on this earth they're on the outside. Now, Jesus said regarding Nicodemus, except the man's born again, he won't enter the kingdom of God. See? Except the man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of God. But now we've got somebody here that's using the language, Lord, Lord, and he says, these folks are on, on the outside. Now, I realize this is talking about the context of heaven because the rest of this is going to be dealing with uh, people who are not going to make it in. Because verse 22 speaks about people that prophesied, people that cast out devils, did wonderful things. In verse 23, the Lord says, I never knew you, never even had a relationship with you, never even understood anything about you. But yet these folks uh, did all of these things. So here, here's what I'm getting at. We have to live for God, not for a season, but the whole way, for the whole journey. You can't come to a point in your life where you get frustrated, angry with God, and then you decide, well, look, if God didn't answer this one prayer of mine, so I'm just not going to serve him. Well, you're not hurting him. I mean, he's grieved by it. Don't misunderstand me. But, but ultimately, who do you think is really going to be hurt? It's going to be us. Yeah. If you backslide... Oh, my goodness. If you backslide and you turn away from the king, trample the blood of Jesus, renounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you realize there is not one exit sign in hell. Not one. 
There's never been a story in the Bible of anybody that was there that ever got out. There's never been the great breakout. Nobody escaped from there like somebody got out of Alcatraz. Nobody ever. That place is a holding site for backslidden people and for people who've turned away from God and rejected the king. And this is why the Lord said in verse 23 of Matthew, Matthew 7, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He said, leave my presence. And I honestly believe that is likely one of the worst feelings in hell to know that God exists and know you cannot be in his presence. That has to be terrible to to know that, you see. And the beauty of heaven is to know that God exists and we'll be right there where he is. Yeah, beautiful, you know, place of joy and love and peace and grace. So verse 47, but whoever, we're back in uh, Luke 6 now, but whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, listens to what I'm teaching, and does them, I'll show you to whom he's like. I think it's James that gives us the illustration of the person who hears the word and doesn't do it. He said he's like somebody who looks at his reflection and then turns and forgets what he looks like. Now you've got to have a pretty bad memory if you do that. You can't remember what you look like. Yeah. But a Christian is supposed to know how to live at all times, at all times. And Jesus says, whoever comes and hears and does, there are three things. You've got to come to the Lord. You have to hear what he's saying and then obey what he's saying. So that's three aspects of the Christian life. Come to the Lord. We've done that. Hear what the Lord is saying and then do it. Well, what if you come into contact with a verse you don't like? You still got to obey the verse, because if you come in contact with truth and truth contradicts something you're doing or believing and you choose to continue doing what you're doing and believe in what you're believing, even though the truth gives you an alternative, then your own opinion becomes your God. Because you now rearrange, you, you continue to arrange your life around your own private opinion. I've heard plenty of people tell me that I don't care what that book says. I've had people tell me that. Lady one time said she had a vision of an angel and I was talking to her in the camp meeting. She was standing there in the kitchen talking to me about it. And it was a lady angel she was talking about. And it was all this different, weird kind of stuff she was talking about. And I just sat patiently and listened. And finally, when she gave me the opportunity to say something, I said, well, I, I don't think that this is scriptural because I don't recall ever seeing any kind of activity like that in the Bible. That woman looked at me and said, I don't care what that book said. That's my angel. Well, you can have your angel. Okay. You can have your angel, but, but it doesn't change the truth of God. Now the scripture says in first Corinthians 11, you have to have heresies so that the truth will be manifested. So you have to have bad doctrine in order to appreciate good doctrine. And you have to have bad fruit in order to appreciate good fruit. Anybody ever went to the grocery store and bought and grabbed some fruit real fast and didn't really look it over? And then you got home. Then when you finally pulled it out, you realized it was bruised on all these different sides. Yeah. But that made you appreciate having good fruit. Yeah, it it does. So verse verse 47, again, we come, we hear, we do. 
And Jesus said, I'll give you an illustration of what this kind of person is like. He's like a person who builds a house and digs deep, lays the foundation on rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. So the first thing this tells us is that the man knew how to build a house. Somebody has to know how to do this. Some of you probably have done this. You probably have built a home or facility. I pastor a lot of people who live in houses they themselves built. And that's impressive to hear them tell me the story of how they themselves dug out the footings. They themselves poured the concrete or dug out the cellar and all of that. Well, in order to do it and do it right, you have to know how deep to go. Because remember, whatever you're going to put up here on top, you've got to have a strong enough foundation to support whatever you put above it when you build on that foundation. So verse 48 says he dug deep. This was someone who was looking for and preparing for any storm that's going to come. And when he laid the foundation, notice he put it, he placed it on a rock. Now that's one of the best places to to, to build. Why? Because if the rock has been there for centuries, it's less likely that your home is going to be moved. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of settling. And if you if you're in a a water plane, then, of course, when the waters rise up, then you don't have to worry about the shifting of the earth and everything like that, because the rock is going to remain solid. This is what the king is trying to say when the flood arose, because it is going to rise. And for any one of us that are Christians, we've got to understand we have to build our lives knowing that flood tides do rise. So danger is present and sometimes prevalent. There's never been a Christian on this planet who hadn't had to deal with some kind of flood tide or storm or strong wind. That's why you have to build your life to be prepared for the floods that come. What kind of floods? What do you do when you go home and walk into the garage and they're sitting in the car? Somebody that took a shotgun, took their life. Got to be prepared. Got to have a house that's strong enough spiritually to survive that. What, what, what do you do when, when you're a parent and something terrible happens and a little toddler that was just born dies? You got to stand there at the grave. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, a pregnant mom loses the baby. What, what happens when the adversary is coming in different directions in the house and he's attacking the kids and you start watching one by one? Looks like one of the kids is just kind of wavering in their faith. You've got to be strong enough so that you can still be the stabilizing force. Depends on how you build your house. I've seen a lot of people backslide sitting in church. Yeah, every week in church. And then just fall away. And then when you start asking people, have you seen so and so? Well, yeah, I saw him at the grocery store the other day. Didn't mention anything about church or anything like that. Then next time you see him, you you start seeing him all the time outside of church. And then by the time I get to him, start asking questions. And the, the, the habit's been formed so strong that they don't need church. They don't need God. They usually say something like this. I can be a Christian on my own and serve God at the at the house. Well, you can. But it's likely that you're not. 
And, and, and the other thing is to know that when you look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you don't ever find a Christian that didn't have a church family. Find a lot of them out here that don't want to have them, but you don't find any in the Bible, you see. So it, it's important to know that here's someone whose house is not founded upon the rock. And when the flood came and the streams start beating strongly upon the house, it says it couldn't shake it for it was founded upon the rock. So here's the devil constantly throwing your past back in your face, reminding you of where you came from and what you were and what your parents were and how you were abused or how you were self-righteous or how you had money or never had money, constantly throwing something in your face. And if if you shake and you wither and die, then he's won the battle. But if we build our faith upon the word of God and we let the devil know you can you can throw your best at us. I mean, we're founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, not not going anywhere. And whether you have friends or don't have friends, build your life solidly upon this. But then verse 49, he says, he that hears and doesn't do. That means we can listen. And then not apply it, said he's he's like a man without a foundation. Works at Ranky and built his house upon the earth. Doesn't quite say that, does it? No. Okay. But it says, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So here's somebody that knew how to build a house. Then here's somebody who didn't necessarily know how to build a house, but both of them wanted to. See the difference? Both of them wanted to. Both of them attempted to. One of them accomplished it. The other one didn't. But in both instances, the flood tide came because it didn't care whether or not one was wise or foolish. And the devil doesn't care what your circumstances in life are. He doesn't care if you have 20 kids or no children. He doesn't care if you're tall or short. He doesn't care if you're happy or sad. The devil will come against you at any possible time. And You've got to be strong enough in the word. So this is why we do Bible studies. This is why we fellowship. This is why we have services and things like that throughout the week. This is why we pray. This is why you should read the Bible and feed on the word of God, because the tides are always rising. They're going up. They're coming down. They're going up. They're coming down. But the devil is always looking for a way to gain access into your life. Yeah, he's looking. And if he can find it, he's going to come creep right on in. And he's going to try to erode your faith, erode your love, erode the grace of God in your life. And before you know it, you're watching pieces of the house float away. Some of the the worst pictures any of us have ever seen. Back when uh, they had that deal with Katrina, you know, and just to see that when uh, that big dike or whatever broke and just filled up. That area down there, people lost their homes. But I still remember Hurricane Hugo back when I was in the Marine Corps. And all that water was slung by those tornadoes and hurricanes and everything. Homes just disappeared, just like that, just like that. And over and over again, I've seen overseas 
where people who build their houses out of, out of wood and just basically little huts that they have. You let it rain too much. I mean, that stuff collapses. It just falls apart. Let the let the wind blow too strong. And then before you know it, it's gone. I get emails all the time from people in Africa needing a little money to help rebuild a house, you know, which which for them wouldn't cost no more than two or three hundred dollars for them to gather the materials to build a thatched roof and to put up on some kind of structure and then have their family in it. But, you know, the next time there's a windstorm, that's going to be gone again. And it happens over and over again. We are one of the few nations around here that builds homes the way that we do. Yeah. But how come we're not leading the globe in the way we build our Christian lives? Yeah. Why, why are we creating some of the weakest people on the planet? How, how is it that you can have a, a little child grow up in Africa, okay, or the Middle East, have to walk back and forth to school six, seven miles, have to carry a spear walking with the siblings and try to fight off wild animals and stuff like that just to try to get some kind of an education. And, and, and then they'll walk a mile and a half or however far they have to go to a well or to a river and walk back with a bucket of water on their head just so everybody can wash and clean and cook. And these people grow up and they're strong. And you just don't hear about suicide amongst them folks. But then you come out here, and then, then, he, then here's, here's a kid where somebody in the school parking lot teases them about their weight or their height or their family name or something like that. Then all of a sudden we're, we're just falling apart like, like a cardboard box. There's something in how we raise people here that isn't the same in what folks are doing there. We've got all the money and wealth here. They have little of nothing there, but we all seem to be reading the same book. So at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, how can we build something that's founded upon a rock? Because we can't create a nation of people that can't handle being around folks that disagree with them. We have to be strong enough so that our faith will continue and persevere. I'm not going to have somebody cause me to backslide just because they say they don't believe in the Bible. I'm sorry you don't believe in the Bible, but it's still true. Yeah. Still true. And if somebody teased me and called me a Bible thumper or something like that, I'm not going to get angry and decide I'm not coming out the house anymore because people are shaming me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be stronger, be stronger. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It is precious. When we think about the things that all of us have to face each week, we are grateful You've gone out of your way to love us and be concerned about us. Father, we know the devil wants to take every opportunity he can to destroy our homes, destroy our lives individually. Give us wisdom to see when he's trying to do that. Give us wisdom to be able to resist it. Give us courage. Give us fortitude. You said when you return, will you find faith in the earth? Lord, we expect you to find it amongst us. We are a faith people. We're a believing people. We're a trusting people because we have our confidence in you. We don't boast in ourselves. We make our boast in you. But God, we pray that you would cause each one of us to rise to every challenge and resist the devil so that he can flee from us. These things we pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said. 
Amen, 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 amen.